God is God, and He can do and will do whatever He pleases. He is the righteous one, and He always acts in righteousness. Man is sinful, Jew or Gentile alike, we deserve judgment. Hence, if God's going to save anyone, it's going to be by His sovereign grace. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And He is going to save His remnant from Israel. And He is going to save that remnant on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, An Introduction to Romans 9 through 11. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans chapter 1, first chapter of Romans. We're going to give another run at it. I mean, uh, there's a lot there that we missed. I do want us to uh, glance back at Romans because we've come to a tremendous turning point in the book, and so it's good to see where we've been. And maybe you're just new with us. We've been looking at Romans for some time now, and it's our habit to go through a book of the Bible. The Bible's meant to be understood, and so we're in this book of Romans, and we've uh, finished eight chapters of it, halfway through it. But I want us to glance back... And so if you're there with me in chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel that Paul isn't ashamed of, in the gospel that Paul is going to explain in the book of Romans, In this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. The great theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. And you remember uh, that this is the most systematic explanation of the gospel and of the righteousness of God that you'll find in the scripture. And so he uh, explains it systematically, you might say, and argues the case for God's righteousness. And so the book begins really at verse 18. And we saw that from verse 18 all the way through the middle of chapter 3, he begins talking about not the righteousness of God, but the unrighteousness of man. And our great need for salvation. And then, look over at chapter 3 and just kind of glance at the book with me. Chapter 3, after showing man to be completely unrighteous and destroying all the straw arguments that man comes up with, you might say, he says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now I want to tell you about the righteousness of God, he says. 
It's been manifested and it's been witnessed. This isn't something new. It's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is not something that the Old Testament didn't speak about. But Paul is going to explain it much more thoroughly and fully than the Old Testament person could ever know the gospel. It was witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness through faith, verse 22, in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. And then he begins, and I would say probably the most uh, crucial ten verses of the book, the end of chapter 3, explaining how a righteous God can take sinners and declare them righteous. And we are justified because Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross in our place. And Romans, though you see the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the wrath of God, primarily behind all those things you're seeing the righteousness of God. That He, the righteous one, is willing to impute righteousness to those who will believe in His Son based on and grounded in what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. And so he unfolds that for chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. And then chapter 6, 7, and 8 basically show that those who are justified, inevitably, their life is changed. And they will be, to use theological terms, sanctified. They will be set apart to him. And Christians have a whole new dynamic. We have not only been cleansed and declared righteous, but we've been identified with Christ. And so our lives are to demonstrate His righteousness. And in fact, uh, the foundation for that righteousness is, once again, the cross of Christ. Our history ended at the cross. And when Christ died, I died. When Christ was raised, I was raised. You remember the argument of chapter 6? And then chapter 7 and 8, he unfolds more and more. And finally you come to that tremendous hymn where we left off, the end of chapter 8. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. No one. Nothing can separate us from his love. This is founded on God's eternal purposes. And we can bask in the amazing and eternal love of God, and we should. And so I just close by just kind of reminding us where it closes. Uh, look at verse 38 and 39. I'm convinced, Paul wrote, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think that all of us ought to read this regularly and just mull it over. Think on it. Nothing can separate you from God's love. No one can separate you from God's love. It is eternal and it is God's love and it will not be thwarted. Those who are in Christ have no condemnation and nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And we ought to bask in that. Now, Paul, normally in one of his epistles, when he gets to kind of the end of his argument, and that's really where he's at right here, he would begin to apply these things. He would say something along the line of, look over at chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You'll see that in the book of Ephesians. You'll see that in many of his epistles. When he gets to the end of God's gospel, he'll say, now how should we live in light of that? And he's going to do that in Romans. But in Romans, he's laying out the whole scope of God's purposes in a more formal way. And any reader of the Bible, any thoughtful reader of the Bible, particularly if you begin in Genesis and read through the Bible, if you've listened to what Paul has to say for eight chapters now, it's only natural that you would ask, what about Israel? What about God's purposes for Israel? Uh, a lot of the Bible was written to or about Israel. And here comes Paul, and he's explaining this tremendous gospel, and he knows that he's got to answer that question. In fact, in his day, it was asked with much more uh, intensity than in our day. Because Paul himself was a Jew's Jew. And most of the early Christians were Jews. And the Israelites pursued him in every city he went into when he brought the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek, as he said in the introduction. Uh, he was asked this question constantly and loudly. What about Israel? Has God's word failed to Israel? Does this somehow set aside, and if it did, Israel would have every right to say, listen, if what you're saying is contradicting what God has already said, it can't be true. And so Paul feels the burden of this, and he takes chapters 9, 10, and 11 to explain God's purposes, His righteous purposes, in dealing with His people, Israel. And I want you to look at it with me. And it's, uh, it's as if Paul is replying to questions. I'm sure he'd covered this ground many, many times in many, many Roman cities. But I'm so thankful that God had him write it all down right here at this juncture in Romans so that we can see God's great purposes over history. And you get a handle on this, this section, 9, 10, and 11, and it gives you a grasp of Scripture unlike just about any other portion of Scripture, to understand the whole sweep of God's purposes, spend time in Romans 9, 10, and 11. In fact, I would encourage you, uh, even as we've been basking in the earlier parts of Romans, uh, in the next few weeks, regularly read 9 through 11. Get the drift of what he's saying. And you won't understand everything you read. Don't quit. And don't stop and isolate on everything. Just read this and get the drift of it and get the flow of it. And upon a repeated reading and prayerful reading and humble reading, a lot of things clear up. And so we want to look at it briefly this morning. You see, the Bible isn't really a history of civilization. It's not, it doesn't pre pretend to be. Uh, it's, a, it's a book of God's dealings with man. God's dealings with man. And hence, if it's a history of anything, you could almost say it's a history of Israel. Because we've been looking in the book of Genesis. Early on, God begins to isolate on this one nation. He makes of Abraham a great nation. And the rest of the Old Testament unfolds his dealings with Israel in bringing forth the Messiah, who will be a blessing not just to the nation, but to all the nations. And to get all this in our minds is very helpful in understanding God's 
purposes. And uh, we need to see the special place Israel plays in God's heart, the special love he has for Israel. You remember, even when Jesus was here, remember that Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 that came to him and said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She called out to Jesus as the son of David, his messianic title. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he ignored her. Remember that? And the disciples said, Lord, uh, why don't you get rid of her? She's yelling after us and causing chaos. And uh, she said, have mercy on me, son of David. And he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she said, yes, Lord, but uh, give me. She said, please have mercy. And she just pled his mercy. And he said, no, it's not good to give to the dogs the children's food to this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table. And he said, woman, your faith is great. Be it done to you as you've wished. And he blessed her. And to our ears, that sort of thing demands some explanation. And it's a picture of God's blessing of all people in and through Israel and the Messiah that he would bring forth from Israel. Turn over to the 147th Psalm for just a minute. Look at the 147th Psalm. You see, God's dealings with Israel, uh, God's love for Israel, was written for our instruction, and it teaches us much about God, about Him and about His grace and uh, His dealings with man. And I want you to just read with me the last... um, the last two verses of the psalm. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. Praise the Lord, the psalmist says. He declares his words to Israel, his ordinances to Israel. And he hasn't hasn't dealt thus with any other nation. God sovereignly in grace chose out Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he dealt with this nation in sovereign grace. Now, that's a picture of his dealings with all of us, Jew or Gentile alike today as individuals. Look back up the psalm to verse 10 and 11. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for His loving kindness. Oh, Jew, Gentile today makes no difference. God is not enthralled with what man can offer Him. He doesn't delight in the strength of the horse or take pleasure in the legs of a man, symbols in that day of man's prowess and abilities and military might. Oh, no. He's looking for those who fear Him those who wait for His mercy, His loving kindness. And you want to even look at it again. Look back at, uh, look at the second, the second uh, verse of the psalm. In fact, I'll read the first two. Praise the Lord, for it's good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and praise is becoming. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars. He gives names to all of them, this great God does. 
Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. He brings down the wicked to the ground. This God who sovereignly chose out Israel and has lavished his love on this nation, Israel, is also the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, verse 3. So you see in the, in the 147th Psalm, you see a picture of it. God has a special purpose for Israel, unlike any other nation. And it's a picture of God's heart and compassion and grace toward all of us. Now, in the past, God sovereignly chose, blessed, disciplined Israel. In the future, Israel will be this, the recipient of God's blessing. The city on earth won't be New York or London or Moscow or Paris. It'll be Jerusalem. And in the present, in the present, God is calling out individuals today, Jew and Gentile alike. He's not really dealing with nations today. He's dealing with individuals. And he's not saving societies, by the way. He's saving sinners, individuals who come to him in faith. And so we want to look at this and to get a handle on chapters 9, 10, and 11, turn to Romans now, is to get a great insight into the ways of God in the course of history. And whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, and it really doesn't matter today, and you come to him and you meditate on these chapters and you mull them over and you'll come away with a greater view of God and a lesser view of man. And uh, that's a good combination. I mean, we live in a generation that's constantly trying to prop man up and have a higher view of yourself and a better self-image, etc. Listen, that's the backwards way to go about it. Uh, we need a better view of God and who He is. We need a higher grasp, a greater grasp of the majesty of God, and we need to take our place as sinners saved by His grace. And I'll tell you what, chapters 9, 10, and 11 do a good job of just that. And so I want us to look at it together. Now, before we plunge right into it, what I'd like to do is just briefly walk through, because this is one of those sections of Scripture that the better you understand the the sweep of what he's saying, the more the details will have meaning and fall into place for us. And so what I'd like you to do is just look at chapter 9 with me, and we'll just kind of walk through briefly chapters 9, 10, and 11. And the first thing you see in chapter 9, and we'll come back and take a closer look at this, but you see Paul's heart for Israel and the privileges of Israel. He has just talked about the amazing love of God and the fact that we cannot be separated from God's love. And then he changes tone abruptly and says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers, from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all God-blessed forever. Amen. Paul's heart for Israel, and by the way, when I say Paul's heart, he's the inspired apostle here. 
He's a reflection of God's heart for Israel. And he moves from this position or this statement of amazing love to unceasing grief as he thinks of Israel's unbelief and the heartache that just permeates his soul as he thinks of Israel's unbelief. Is Israel's unbelief then uh, and failure a contradiction of God's promises? God has promised to bless Israel. Is Israel's unbelief a failure of God's word to be accomplished? Oh, no. Look at verse 6. It's not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Now, he's already said this once back in chapter 3. Remember at the end of chapter 2, he said that being a true Jew is a matter of the heart, is not the outward circumcision and jumping through the right hoops. And he says, and he asked then, what's the advantage of being a Jew then? And he answered it briefly, but he hasn't. He's kind of, he's, he left that unanswered, you might say. He answered it briefly, but he's going to really answer it in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And so he gets here and he says, oh, I have a heart for Israel. Don't misunderstand me. I have unceasing grief for Israel and sorrow. But don't think the word of God has failed. God's sovereign plan is not short-circuited. We just saw in chapter 8 that nothing can thwart the purposes of God. And Israel's unbelief does not short-circuit God's plan at all. In fact, being a Jew, a true Jew, being an Israelite has never been just a matter of physical lineage. And so he goes on and he says, you know, God said it's going to be through Isaac your descendants will be named, not Ishmael even though they both came from Abraham. Well, somebody says, yeah, but uh, Ishmael was, you know, wasn't a true Jew. He was from Hagar, the Egyptian maid. And we've been looking at that in Genesis. And, and so you might say, yeah, so that's an exception. Well, then he goes and he says, okay, what about Rebecca? She had twins. I mean, those are equally Jewish, huh? Jacob and Esau. And yet God purposed not to bless Esau, but Jacob. Well, then someone says, is God's purposes, are they so sovereign that that He's unjust, that He's unrighteous? Verse 14, what shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. God is God. And He can do and will do Whatever He pleases. He is the righteous one and He always acts in righteousness. Man is sinful. Jew or Gentile alike, we deserve judgment. Hence, if God's going to save anyone, it's going to be by His sovereign grace. And verse 16 is a great statement of it. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy, and he is going to save his remnant from Israel, verse 27. And he is going to save that remnant on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, An Introduction to Romans 9 through 11, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. 
A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station, and we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Look at verse 3. Not knowing about God's righteousness, that is the underlying theme of Romans, and seeking to establish their own, Israel didn't subject itself to the righteousness of God. That is a picture an accurate portrayal of individuals today, not really understanding how righteous God really is, not understanding that righteousness is only found in Christ, and seeking to establish our own righteousness, people are unwilling to submit to the righteousness of God. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then he unfolds that in chapter 10 with the great call to anyone and everyone to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, An Introduction to Romans 9 through 11. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.